my name is Rachel Putman. I am a, a pulmonologist and critical care physician, and I work at the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. In the podcast today, I'm going to be talking about my research focusing on the early detection of interstitial lung disease and specifically looking at whether we can use different imaging patterns that we find on chest CT to help predict important outcomes for our patients. So our work in general uses large research-based cohorts that have chest CT scans to use a CT marker, which our group calls interstitial lung abnormalities, and that term is also now used by other research groups to try and identify an early stage of pulmonary fibrosis. And specifically, this work is using a cohort of older adults from Reykjavik in Iceland, so it's the ages cohort. And for this study, we looked at chest CT scans of about 5,000 individuals at baseline and then around 3,000 people who had follow-up scans about six years later to look and see how their imaging progressed and then to look at different imaging features that we saw and to see how those would impact sort of important clinical outcomes, including risk of death in this group of older adults. So when we first looked at this group, we looked at that, we sort of classified them as having either interstitial abnormalities or not. And so our work using interstitial abnormalities is a CT marker where it includes a lot of different radiologic findings. So when this work was first started by Matt Honeyhockey, who I work with here at the Brigham and others, they came up with this term that included a pretty large umbrella of radiologic findings, including ground glass, central lobular nodules, subpleural articulation, and then evidence of more fibrotic changes, including traction bronchiectasis and honeycombing, in the hopes of sort of using a broad term to catch multiple findings that would lead to sort of a, a variety of interstitial lung diseases down the road. However, what we've come to learn as our work has progressed is that it's probably likely that not all of these changes mean the same thing, meaning that some of the changes probably indicate a more poor prognosis, some of them may have maybe less severe disease, and it's important for us to think about how we can sort of try and sort that out, especially as we're seeing more and more clinical patients sort of outside of research getting chest CT scans and wondering sort of what we do with these early imaging changes that we see. Like I said, in this specific study, we looked at about 3,000 community-dwelling older adults who had CT scans about five to six years apart, and then looking at the different patterns that we saw in chest CT scan. And so I wanted to sort of break it down into very simple findings that most of us as pulmonologists and definitely radiologists can help identify on CT scans. So we looked at simple findings such as subpleural reticulation or evidence of central lobular nodules, and then more fibrotic changes including traction bronchiectasis and honeycombing, and looked at each one of those things and whether they would be, if we saw one of those findings on CT scan, whether each one of those things would be more likely to have imaging progression over time, meaning that if I saw someone with just some ground glass central lobular nodules on CT scan at one time point, five years later, are they better, worse, the same? And what we found is in that group of people that that imaging finding in particular was actually much less likely to progress. And so more people that had that were more likely to be stable or in some even improved and got better over time. But whereas changes that were more similar to those we might see in like idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis or other more fibrotic lung diseases, including subpleural reticulation, people who had those types of changes were more likely to have disease progression over the five years. And then we were able to also tie each of those specific imaging findings into looking at the risk of death for those people over about a 12-year follow-up time period after that. 
And what we found is that the imaging features that were more likely to lead to disease progression were also associated with an increased risk of death in those people. And that the ones such as central lobular nodules that were associated with less progression were actually not associated with an increased risk of death. And the first time we were able to break down these many different CT scan findings into sort of smaller pieces that are easily identifiable, hopefully on CT scan, and able to provide some guidance to sort of the larger pulmonary community about what those mean in terms of risks for people going forward. We then did a second sort of analysis in the same group of people using the larger subset people, about 5,000 people who had CT scans sort of at their baseline CT scan. And we wanted to see if the new criteria that were first proposed by the Fleischner Society and then have been adopted by the ATS, ERS, JRS, and the ALAT to reclassify idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis or a radiologic pattern of usual interstitial pneumonia and to see if those guidelines could work in sort of a community setting and whether they provided any prognostic significance. And so all the CT scans were then further subclassified by those new guidelines. So there were people who had definite evidence of UIP on CT scan, those with probable UIP, those who had had an indeterminate pattern for UIP, and then those who were inconsistent with UIP or their skin was consistent with another diagnosis. And what we found is that even in a group of people who have never been diagnosed with ILD, that using this categorization, even not being able to name a specific diagnosis from underneath sort of the larger ILD umbrella, we could risk stratify these people. And that over that next 12 to 15 year follow-up time period, what we found is that there was an incremental increase in the risk of death based on sort of how much closer the scan looked like to UIP. So those who were indeterminate for UIP had the lowest risk of death of those on the UIP spectrum, followed by an increased risk of death of those that had probable UIP and those that had a UIP pattern. And those were all increased in the risk of death compared to those who didn't have any interstitial changes. And that suggests that, well, even at an early stage, we might not be able to tell exactly what disease this will turn into. There are definite ways we can help risk stratify the imaging findings and hopefully provide important information in sort of how we stratify follow-up for patients and what that may mean for them going forward. As a sort of larger pulmonary community and in this work and from our group and others over time, what we've noticed is that there's been a lot of discussion that, as I talked about initially, that this sort of larger umbrella of interstitial abnormalities or early changes likely don't all mean the same thing. And I think intuitively we all knew that was true, but have not been able to have any data to help guide not only sort of further research, but clinicians going forward. And it's definitely an active area in the uh, interstitial lung disease world. Members of my research group are working with the Fleischner Society to help come up with guidelines for clinicians about how we can take these early changes on CT scan. And so I think initially the lack of knowledge about sort of having data to back up what we think these CT scans may mean for people going forward at an early stage, coupled with the fact that as clinicians, we're getting more and more patients we find have early changes with the increase in lung cancer screening CT scans or CT scans that are done for patients who go to the emergency room for a totally different complaint and are found to have sort of these early interstitial changes. There's been a sort of lack of guidance for clinicians about what we should do with them. And so hopefully this work can help provide some guidance and provide the groundwork for further research going forward, meaning that 
if we can take a look at where this CT scan falls in using the new UIP criteria, or looking at the individual findings, which hopefully should be fairly easily identifiable and simply identified by both pulmonologists and radiologists, we can potentially help figure out how concerned we are about this patient. Is it that there's predominantly ground glass and central lobular nodules? I'm going to be probably less concerned about what that's going to progress like over time for that patient. I'm not suggesting that, you know, that that's completely normal and there could be no poor outcomes, but I'm going to be more worried and probably follow someone up slightly differently that has more subpleural reticulation or moving something that looks more on the fibrotic spectrum of disease. And so I think finally starting to have some data that's out there to help guide who we're following up is helpful. But then I think it also brings a lot of questions. So if I need to be more concerned about this CT scan pattern, what does more concern mean? And I think that's something where we don't have the answer to that yet. So if I know that this scan, based on this data, has a higher likelihood of progressing over five years, that's still a longer time period. And what does that mean for how often should I follow them up? Should they be getting follow-up imaging? Should they be getting repeat lung function testing? And those are questions that I don't think we have the answers to yet, but are going to be important next steps in terms of how we, as a community, think about following these patients going forward. But I think this work does provide evidence that even though these changes are considered to be early and previously may have been thought that because they're early and don't sort of fall into a firm category or diagnosis of ILD, that doesn't mean we should ignore them and wait until things potentially move into sort of a more firm disease category before we're following these patients and potentially offering treatment. And I think that that's where a lot of more research is going in the interstitial lung disease world. It helps provide some guidance, but unfortunately adds a lot of questions as well that we don't quite have the answers to yet. So I think in terms of the key take-home messages for this, I think this work really begins to provide the start of the data that we as a group need to think about how we can help risk stratify these patients. So I think this provides evidence for the fact that there are pretty simple ways to help risk stratify these patients that don't require specialty trained thoracic radiologists at academic centers that can be done by pulmonologists or with the help of radiologists. But we're not able to yet say that if you have, you know, traction bronchiectasis, you should be getting a CT scan every year or lung function testing every year. Or if you have just central lobular nodules, we don't ever need to follow you up again. And I think while this work is moving us in the direction of early detection and trying to think about logical ways to follow these patients and then potentially think about when we would offer them treatment, we don't have data to sort of support this regimen of screening in terms of imaging or lung function testing. But I hope what this work evokes some of the thought process and some physicians are saying, well, this scan, although not that severe is more on the spectrum of something that looks fibrotic. So I'm going to have a discussion with my patient and say, I'm more concerned about this. Talk about risk factor modification of which the biggest is smoking, or if there are any exposures that you know the patient may have trying to remove those exposures from their life or them from those environments. And then think about just having a discussion with them of, I know you have these changes. These concern me more. Let's come up with a plan together of what makes sense in terms of lung function testing and maybe recurrent scanning. And I think going forward, you'll see more and more 
research and clinical trials, hopefully including patients at earlier stage diseases in terms of treatment uh, with antifibrotic therapies as well. But as of right now, we don't have the data to back up any statements about what we should be doing in terms of time for treatment or sort of the appropriate screening interval. But I think I would encourage people to sort of recognize that some of these early changes are important and to start having discussions with patients and just looping them into some sort of follow-up, even if it's once a year or at least at least having a discussion with the patient so they're aware of these changes and the potential concern that you have for what could happen to them going forward will be important as opposed to waiting until they have sort of more advanced disease. ILD world has for a long time been focused on the later stages of disease when we can sort of put a name to what they are, that as we're learning more and more that we're going to have to move sort of to the earlier stage disease and hoping, recognizing that we may have to live in some amount of uncertainty in terms of what the diagnosis is for the patient, but that there's still importance in those early findings and that we should be paying attention to them, involving patients in some decisions about what to do until we have more firm guidelines and research in terms of what the right interval for screening or follow-up is for these patients. So I want to thank everyone for listening today. I hope everyone found this informative and hopefully uh, moving forward we'll find there'll be more research to help us sort of have better guidelines and plans for what to do with these patients with early stage disease.